um, just give you a, a word of testimony. Nobody said brief. And they usually say brief. So I'm not promising anything here about the clock, but um, we'll see what we can do. So I'll just tell you a little bit about myself, and then we will come to the scriptures. We will be turning to John chapter 1 as we do that this evening. Now, whereas my testimony in comparison to some others might not be regarded as particularly exciting, it is no less serious. Every believer's testimony is a witness for Christ. We are each accountable for how we live before God, how we live before men. I've been a member of the Iron Hall Evangelical Church for around 28 years now, I think. Um, I work as a, a risk consultant for an insurance company. I travel quite extensively throughout Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. It used to be Scotland, but I've managed to get out of that, which is good. I don't like airports and uh, sitting around and dead time and all that stuff. So it's nice to just get behind the wheel and uh, be in control of my own destiny as far as I can. I'm married to Audrey with two boys, Michael and Philip, and um, I have a keen interest in music. Can't read it, but I have a keen interest in it. Like listening to it, like singing, particularly like the guitar. I could talk to you all day about guitars, but I'm not here to do that tonight. Um, and also some photography. But I was brought up under the sound teaching of the scriptures by believing parents for whom I thank God. You, some of you may remember them from coming singing here, Jack and Hazel Ritchie. And uh, th there was a, a great family influence as far as uh, music, etc., and singing was concerned. Uh, and my father then also went on to, um, to preach quite extensively throughout the province for a number of years as well. But they faithfully taught me the truths of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in the home. And I was also blessed with faithful Sunday school teachers in Newtonards Baptist Church at the time. My earliest memory of learning the scriptures is a Sunday school teacher who taught me John 14 and 6, which we commenced with this evening, what we were singing about. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And one evening at the age of six, the Lord brought me to understand my need of salvation. I realized that night that my sin separated me from God. That is something that needed to be dealt with. I remember speaking to my, my brother, my older brother, Jonathan, about those concerns, and he asked me directly that evening, would I not get saved? And simply acknowledging my need of salvation as a sinner before God, I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive me and to save me. And growing up, nobody really gave me a particularly hard time about uh, my Christianity during my school years. Um, I attended Donagadee Primary and then on into to Regent House School. It's funny, uh, one of your previous members, David Anderson, came to Regent House in second year when I was there um, he was the same, the same year as me and David and I went the whole way through then from then on right through Regent House right through um, I think into A levels and our paths never crossed and it's very very strange because since that time we've become very good friends but there you go big school and this little shy fellow at the time incredibly shy very quiet 
for the major part of my school life and some people find that a little bit difficult to believe but it's true and I detested school from the first day in primary one to the last day of upper sixth but I thank God for my education and I, I really do mean that I was no genius but I obtained what I needed and what has turned out to be very relevant to my secular employment and also to my ministry for the Lord. Friends outside of school were few and they were unbelieving, but they were good friends. Uh, and I'm very thankful for them. And they respected where I drew the line. There are things that I wouldn't do. There are places that I wouldn't go. And the years from my mid-teens into my 20s, perhaps a little lonely at times as far as that was concerned. I didn't have... Um, believing friends who I was in regular contact with but on a more positive note I believe that time strengthened me in some ways and, and the Lord did move in some ways as far as that was concerned now many hours were spent listening to music learning riffs on the guitar and had I spent as much time in the word I would be much better off by now I have to be very honest I do regret some time that I squandered however uh, the importance placed upon reading the word of God in my home was a great influence on me and I always made time to read it daily and to pray no matter how short a time that might have been that was a habit that, that I built and, and never let go of and that practice has been invaluable throughout my life and I would encourage you maybe a young person here tonight maybe struggling with that and it's okay if you're struggling with that it's nothing to be ashamed of but that practice has been invaluable. Make time for that. My family and I had been attending the Bible studies in Iron Hall on a Monday evening since I was about 15. And by the time I was 20, it had become our spiritual home. And I remain grateful for friends who welcomed me to that church at the time, who invited me to the Young People's Fellowship. These were young men and young women who not only met with each other at the weekends, and at youth fellowship time but who regularly attended the midweek meetings the bible study the prayer meeting and I can remember feeling compelled to pray audibly for the first time in, in our assembly on one particular occasion it took me about three weeks to actually pluck up the courage to stand up uh, and to pray it's always a little daunting for the first time for a young person but I trust that maybe some young people here tonight might take encouragement from that to do just that. During my time in Iron Hall I've been involved in various aspects of the work. It's included serving on, on the Diagnet for a number of years, serving in committee of the Youth Fellowship for a few years and then as youth leader for about 12 years and I've been teaching the senior Bible class there for the past 10 years or so and I've also served for a time on oversight. But I fulfilled my first preaching engagement on a Sunday evening in October 1998 in the Iron Hall and I am very grateful for that opportunity it was granted to me by a man called Bertie Campbell some of you may have known him who booked me to speak on that occasion and I'm also very grateful over the years for the many people that I've had the privilege of learning from godly Sunday school teachers Bible class teachers pastors preachers and friends and in my lifetime folks I have sat under the ministry of the very best of Bible teachers. There's no doubt about that, and I am so grateful for that, and also benefit 
from thousands, literally thousands, of recordings, which are so accessible to us, even more so in the present day. From 2007, I was truly blessed to meet with a very good friend, Brian Wade, along with a number of other brothers and sisters in Christ. We met every other Saturday morning uh, for the purpose of studying systematic theology in a little more depth, in a lot more depth. And it was a most profitable time, and I'm indebted to, to Brian and to all those who were involved. And then in 2018, I had the privilege of being accepted to commence a two-year certificate course in dispensational theology within the prophetic seminary. Some of you may have heard of that. Some of you may attend our, our seminars on occasions over in Vic Rin. But that too proved to be invaluable as I gleaned from those lecturers and from the other students. And a short time after I completed the course, I was approached and asked to join the committee and to join the team of lecturers. And I continue there today. And I do pray that God will continue to use that organization for the building up of many men and women to serve him. My faith is in Christ alone for salvation. It's, it's in no one else, nothing of myself. I'm saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ, fully acknowledging his person and his redemptive work on the cross on my behalf. There is no other means of salvation of having that relationship with God restored. Um, having said that, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 1, please, this evening. John chapter 1. I'm taking a liberty here. I've brought some of the little cards for the next prophetic seminar, and I'll, I'll leave a few in the hall. And if you think we're heretical, you can burn them, but I, I trust we're not. <laughs> so if you would like to come along, please feel free to do so. John chapter 1, and we want, I want to speak just for the remainder of our time under the title, How Not to Be Saved. I've given you tonight how I am saved. I've just stated that. I want to tell how not to be saved, what the scriptures say about this. John chapter 1, we'll just take time to read from verse 10. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, John says, He was in the world and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But here's our text for this evening. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We all enjoy bank holidays, don't we? There's various things that we can do and that people like to do on a bank holiday. For some, they like to go uh, for a good walk somewhere or they like to take a drive up the Antrim coast or they go to some of those popular trails and they go to some of the heritage properties and estates. Some people like to go to Port Rush and uh, the whole busyness of there and Port Stewart or maybe down the other end at Newcastle, they like that whole bustle of those towns and, and the mandatory visit, of course, to the ice cream shop. But the other popular activity for many on a bank holiday is DIY. I don't know whether you like do it yourself or not. I don't particularly enjoy it. But doing those jobs that have had to be put off for weeks or months, maybe even years, decorating and repairing and building and painting and 
sorting and doing all of these things. And one such DIY job that some people enjoy but many others absolutely detest is building flat packed furniture. You either love it or you hate it. Some folks seem to be able to throw those things up in minutes and for others it takes a lot longer. Straying into the early hours of the next day, maybe the next week. But the key to a successful build is to follow the instructions. And very often those instructions not only tell you what to do, but sometimes they commence by telling you what not to do. And as you follow the instruction booklet through, you see those little boxes at the, at the bottom corner of the page and of the bottom corner of some of the sections. You see a diagram and there's an X beside it. And then another little window and, and there's a diagram in there and there's an X beside it as well. And then there's a diagram of the correct way and there's a big tick, big green tick across it or beside it. You don't do it this way, you don't do it that way. This is the way that you put this thing together. John 1, 12 to 13 that we've read from this evening, speaking of the way of salvation, presents us with a very similar pattern. Verse 13 states how individuals are born again, how they are saved, how they are brought into the family of God. But the verse begins by listing three ways that this is not done before stating the one way that it is done. There's three incorrect ways there's one correct way that are given here. And if John 1 and 13 was presented in a similar format to the instructions for building that piece of furniture, whatever it may be, the title on the instruction book would read, How to be Saved. And whenever we would open up the cover, the first item in that list would read, By Blood. And there would be a big X beside it. And the second item in the list would read, By the Will of the Flesh and there'd be a big X beside it. And the third item would read, by the will of man. And again, there'd be a big X beside it. And the fourth item would read, of God. And beside it, we would find a big tick. Because that's the correct way. That's the right way. That's the only way. Look with me and think about each of these items in that list. Each of the ways that are mentioned. And what John, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, has written for us. In order to explain to us how to be saved, he begins by telling us how not to be saved. And the first thing he says is this, it's not by generation. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood. Now what does that mean? Well, first of all, it's not referring to the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is, of course, vital to man's salvation. But the phrase here, not of blood, in this verse relates to generation. When we speak of a relation, sometimes we use the word blood, don't we? We talk about a blood relation. In other words, someone with a direct family relationship or connection. And what this verse is saying is that salvation is not obtained by generation. It's not through family. It's not something that comes to us automatically or otherwise through our family line or through our family tree. We're not born with salvation. We don't inherit it from our parents. God ordained that the world would be populated by generation. He created Adam. He then created Eve and he brought her to the man. 
And we read in Genesis 1, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he them, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it. That is generation. Adam and Eve had children, their children had children, their children had children, and so on and so on, and here we are this evening. This world has been and continues to be populated by generation. The process of producing offspring. But friends, the problem is this. Before Eve had even given birth to their first child, Adam and Eve had sinned against God. Had they obeyed him, what a different story the world would have known. But they disobey. And rather than holiness and perfection being passed down through each generation, a sinful nature was passed down instead. Sin is hereditary in that sense. The sin nature is something which is inherited by each and every child that is conceived and they are born into this world in that condition. We only need to look at the statements that are made for us in Romans chapter 5. What a great chapter. When we come to verses 12 down to 21, let me pick out a few phrases for you. Death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. That's the effect of Adam's sin. Verse 15, through the offense of one, many be dead. Again, that's the effect of Adam's sin. Verse 16, for the judgment was by one to condemnation. That's the consequences of Adam's sin. Verse 17, by one man's offense, death reigned by one. Adam's sin has brought about death. Verse 18, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. And the consequences of that sin are there stressed once again. Verse 19 says, by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. You see, the scriptures are very clear on this. We are sinners by nature. That's the problem. The problem is not simply the sins which we commit. The problem at its very root is the fact that we are sinners by nature. Verse 21 of that chapter says, Sin hath reigned unto death. Sin has brought death. Friends, sin is hereditary. But salvation is not hereditary. Salvation can only be obtained in Christ, only by faith in him. And that is the great contrast. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Man is depraved. He's the captive of sin in Adam. In other words, in his natural state and condition outside of the intervention of God. Without God stepping in, without accepting God's salvation, man is spiritually dead. He remains in his sin and he cannot release himself. He cannot escape. The Apostle Paul spoke of the power that sin has and the effect that the sin nature has in man. He says in Romans 7 and 23, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. That is the struggle. That was the struggle even for him. Friends, listen, there's no, there's no family connection. 
There's no family name. There's no family history that can save you from sin and from its consequences. And ultimately, the consequences being that of eternal torment in hell. And so we're looking at our instruction book for the way of salvation. And the first line says, of blood. No. There's a big X beside it. It's not by generation. Secondly, the second thing that John says is it's not by occupation. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Salvation is not obtained by occupation. It's not obtained by our works. It's not obtained by our own energies. He says, nor of the will of the flesh. What is the will? It's to do with decision, isn't it? It's to do with desire. But he's talking here of the will of the flesh, and therefore it's speaking of mankind. It's speaking of our human nature, and in particular, our fallen sinful nature. And therefore, what the verse is saying is that man cannot be saved by the decision or the desire of his own sinful nature. If he's still in the flesh, if his desire is simply a fleshly one, if he simply wants to make himself better, or he thinks he can reach a suitable standard of righteousness without God, he will remain unsaved. He'll remain lost in a condition of sin and unrighteousness. Man cannot save himself. Salvation is not obtained, friends, by positive thinking. Now, there are many scripture verses and passages that, that have a positive outlook on life and on circumstances and how we face them. But the important thing to note about those scriptures is that they're coupled with belief in God. They're coupled with faith in Christ. The context involves those who spoke them or penned them as being individuals who trusted in God. And whenever we move into the New Testament, those who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, positive thinking and approaching our circumstances in that way may well have benefits, physically and mentally. However, it will never amount to salvation. It, never, it will never put us in a right standing before God. It will never provide us with the righteousness that God demands. Salvation is not obtained by positive thinking. Salvation is not obtained by works. There's no DIY method as far as salvation is concerned. Man has total inability as far as this is concerned. Paul again said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Paul was saying that he knew what he should do. And he may have wanted to do right. He may have had the desire to do right. But he was unable in and of himself. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. He said to the Corinthians, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so we refer to our instruction manual again, and it says, salvation of blood, no. There's a big X beside that one. Of the will of the flesh, no. There's a big X beside that one too. It's not by generation. It's not by occupation. The third thing that John says is it's not by organization. 
as many as received him to them he gave power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man salvation is not man made there's no organization that can give you salvation the church can certainly tell you about it the church can certainly teach you about it and and the church can point you to it and when the church functions as it ought she should be a great example to you but a church can't save you attendance at church doesn't give you salvation membership of a church doesn't give you salvation donation into a church doesn't provide it position within the church doesn't provide it can I even say friends that the doctrine of the church in and of itself will not give you salvation you need to believe baptism doesn't give you it communion doesn't give you it. denomination does not provide salvation no matter what one you're connected with religious organizations do not give you it religious institutions and in northern ireland has plenty of those will not give you salvation community organizations can't do it no matter how charitable they may be religious cults cannot provide it generation occupation organization friends listen if there was a top 10 chart of the things that people rely on for salvation those three would be in it they'd be right at the top hope for eternity does not rest in those things now not everyone believes in heaven I know that not everyone believes in a judgment day not everyone believes in the need to be right with God to be right with, with their creator not everyone holds to a particular religion whether based on Christianity or not and yet you know something the overwhelming majority of people no matter who they are, what their background is, what their religion is, if they even have one, they hold to a pattern and a way of life, which at the very least contains a set of rules for how they ought to treat their fellow man. Isn't that interesting? Rules that are not written down, but they try to hold to them nonetheless, and they hold other people accountable to them as well things that they judge to be right and avoiding things that they judge to be wrong and conscience is a major factor in why they think like that and why they live like that and it's a conscience that's given to them by God and then there are others who do believe in a God but it's a God with a small g it's not the God of the Bible but perhaps the God of a different religion and we could spend ours talking about those various religions and their gods and some of those religions make much of these three categories that we've been thinking about tonight and they teach that such means or activities will ensure that, that a person is ready for the afterlife or will help or even ensure a good pleasant existence in eternity but perhaps the saddest thing of all and this is why John penned what we have read this evening the saddest thing of all there are those who have the Bible in front of them they have the revealed word of God and they even might have some understanding of it and some of them hold positions within churches and they're relying on one or more of these three categories 
for their salvation and they are lost. They are lost without Christ. They don't know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way. They haven't cast their all upon him. Their faith is not in him alone. These three areas have blinded men and women and children from their deep need and have given multitudes of people false hope since the fall itself and many still rely upon them today and God says they're insufficient. Be honest this evening. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've attended a church. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member of a church. It doesn't matter how well you know your Bible. Are you relying on any or all of these things for salvation? Can I speak to young people here tonight? Listen, get this. It's not by generation. Brought up in a godly home. Brought up to respect the Lord's day and rightly so and, and set it apart for him. Brought up with a respect for the practice of worship in the church. Brought up to learn right from wrong. In the eyes of God, your parents' faith will not save you from your sin. Your parents' faith will not provide you with the righteousness that you need and that God requires. It's not by generation. It's not by occupation. Your work in the church will not earn you any better standing before God. Your work on the beach or at camps during the holidays will not count towards your salvation. Your activities, no matter how helpful, no matter how well-meaning, no matter how well they are carried out, will not give you salvation. And it's not by organization. The scripture union can't save you. The Christian union can't save you. United Beach Missions can't save you. Young Life can't save you. Am I allowed to say this tonight? Baptist youth can't save you. The church calendar can't save you, even if you attend every service and event that is organized. Friends, listen, young person or whoever you are, brought up under the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is your faith in him alone? Is it in him alone? Have you come before him in repentance and asked him to save your soul? We've considered how not to be saved. That would be a terrible thing to end on tonight. So how can we be saved? It's not by generation. It's not by occupation. It's not by organization, friends. It's by regeneration. It's of God. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Regeneration, what is it? It's being born again. You know well the, the words of the Lord to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How is it possible? How can a man be born again? How can a man be saved? John explains it from verse 12 of this first chapter of his gospel. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now look at the emphasis just for a couple of moments. And you'll find, first of all, who are saved. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You see, it's only those who come to him who are saved. And then look again and you'll find how they are saved. But as many as received him, 
To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Received, what does it mean? It means that they took him. It means that they accepted him. We don't receive him as a group. We receive him individually. We receive him personally. And the verse speaks of God giving to them. To them gave he. This is a gift of God. What did he give? To them gave he power. What does that mean? It means he gave them the right. He gave them the authority. The right to what? To become the sons of God. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. This is the work of God. He imparts life. It is spiritual life. It is eternal life. To them give ye power to become the sons of God. What does that mean? Sons. In other words, children of God. Spiritually speaking. In the family of God. And you might be here tonight and you might say, well, I wasn't born into a Christian home. And, and I wasn't born into a godly home. I'm not a member of a church. I wasn't born into a rich home. I don't have any standing in society. I'm a nobody. But God says, those are the things that can't save you. The only person that can save you is the Lord Jesus Christ. How can you be saved? Look at the verse again. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe. Do you know that's the very theme of John's gospel, the whole thing. Whenever we come to chapter 20 and verse 31, John gives a summary summary of why he's written these things he says these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing ye might have life through his name what does it mean to believe on his name to believe on the name of Jesus Christ it means to believe and place your faith in everything that that name relates to friends his deity the fact that he is God he is the son of God his sovereignty that he rules over all the fact that he is the Messiah. He's the chosen one. He's the one that was anointed. He's the one that was ordained. He's the one that was chosen by, by God himself. And that he is the Savior, the only Savior of sinners. It means to, to believe in what he did on Calvary's cross, that it was a sacrifice. It was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. It's the only sacrifice that can save. It's there that his blood was shed. It was poured out for you and I. That blood that made atonement for sin. You believe in the fact that he's the only one that can give you the standard of righteousness that God himself demands, for he is the Lord. He's the only one that can justify you before a holy God. Friends, we read in the scriptures that the life of the flesh is in the blood. He shed his blood. He gave up his life that you might have life, eternal life. He paid it all. Will you receive him? Will you believe on him if you've never done so before? Eric Holstrand writes of an article in the Reader's Digest which told of the late Harvey Pennock, who was a golf instructor from Austin, Texas. In the 1920s, Pennock bought a red spiral notebook and he began jotting down observations about golf. He never showed the book to anyone except his son until 1991 when he shared it with local writer Bud Shriek and asked if he thought it was worth publishing. Shriek read it and the answer was a resounding yes, it's worth publishing. He left word with Panic's wife that publishers Simon and Schuster had agreed to an advance of $90,000. 
And when Shriek visited Panic, the old man seemed troubled. Finally, he came clean. With all his medical bills, he said there was no way he could advance Simon and Schuster that much money. But Shriek had to explain that Panic would be the one to receive the $90,000, not pay it. My friend, young or old, on an infinitely greater scale, both in its cost and in its importance, you cannot pay for your salvation. It's an impossibility. You can only receive it. But the good news and the news that we proclaim here from this pulpit week after week is that the price has already been paid. It's paid by Jesus Christ upon the cross. God was satisfied because of who Christ is and because of what he has done. And he has done it for you and I. If you've never trusted him, may you come to him tonight and receive this free gift that only he can give. May God be pleased to bless his word once again. Could we sing in closing? Please, this evening. Number 273. In times like these, you need a saviour. In times like these, you need an anchor. We'll just take time to sing verse 1 and verse 3, please. <laughs>